This episode is brought to you by ELEAP, the Emerging Leaders in Environmental and Energy Policy Network. Founded in 2011, the ELEAP Network aims to stimulate transatlantic conversation and debate about pressing issues related to energy and the environment. The network's more than 100 members from over 20 countries engage in online debates on topics of the day and meet regularly for experiential study tours and other face-to-face activities. The ELEAP Network is a joint initiative of Ecologic Institute, Ecologic Institute U.S., and the Atlantic Council, and made possible by funding from the European Commission and the Allianz Foundation for North America. To find out more about the ELEAP Network, visit us at www.eleap.eu. Welcome to the ELEAP Network podcast. My name is Nick Evans. Over the next four episodes, we will be bringing you insights from a conference organized by the Atlantic Council and Ecologic Institute, which took place June 21st to 22nd in Washington, D.C. Under the heading Tipping Points, Finding the Energy Climate Balance, the conference brought together decision makers, civil society, business leaders, and scholars to reflect on the nexus of energy and climate policy in the United States, Europe, and in the international arena. The conference agenda covered a range of different topics and included talks by some of the brightest minds in the field. Our first episode features a keynote by clean energy entrepreneur Jigar Shah, president and co-founder of Generate Capital. He is also co-host of the popular podcast Energy Gang, which investigates the technological, political, and market forces that drive energy decisions and environmental issues in the modern world. In his talk, Mr. Shaw speaks about the limits of the prevailing rules-based policy approach in the United States that was put in place after World War II, and proposes that to curb climate change, a new framework is needed, one that forces entrepreneurs, innovators, policymakers, and business leaders out of their silos to begin working together. In the following talk, he argues that the Paris Agreement is a start, but only a foundation from which to build on. I hope you enjoy the episode. This is my first time actually to the Atlantic Council. I've been in D.C. since um, 1996, having recently actually removed, uh, moved back to D.C. about 10 days ago. And it's, it's kind of interesting to figure out how you get here, right? My wife um, um, was a senior, um, a senior um, executive at the State Department for years. Uh, my cousin, you know, Sonal, was on the... Uh, transition team for Obama and help start the Center for American Progress. And so, but I'm the one up here, you know, talking to all of you. Um, and, you know, and it's an interesting thing about how I got here. I, you know, was born in India, grew up in rural Illinois, um, thought about working in the solar industry back in 1990 uh, while I was in high school and then went, got my mechanical engineering degree and here I am. I started a company, it was successful, we sold it, we made money. and. And, you know, I wonder still, like, why I get invited to these things, right? It's, I mean, this is where, you know, Madeleine Albright and Mike Pence get together to talk about how to save us from whatever Trump said last week. Or, like, this is where, you know, these extraordinary people come to talk about things. And, and it got me thinking, and, and the only rational thing I can say is that we're lacking in a framework, right? I mean, the reason why I'm here is because... I started a successful company, the business model of which has now attracted around a trillion dollars of private capital since 2003. Today, you know, Goldman Sachs, everyone else is sort of using the same technology. The Prime Minister of India is now saying, well, this is the framework by which we're going to raise $100 billion to roll this out. So that's why I'm here. And then I was on the board of Greenpeace for six years. Um, and so I learned a little bit about how they do their muckraking. And, 
And then I was brought into this climate works effort, right? The Hewlett Foundation funded for, you know, in the run-up to Copenhagen. They're like, hey, you're a solar entrepreneur. You'd be an interesting voice. Why don't we bring you in? And why don't we talk about how we do shared sacrifice? Right? I mean, if you remember the Copenhagen negotiations, it was all, it's just one cup of Starbucks a month to be able to save the planet. Um, and when you think about that, like it's, it's around that time I sold the company and, and uh, Sir Richard Branson um, called me up and said, hey, I'm starting this new global nonprofit. Would you like to run it? And it was a nonprofit called the Carbon War Room. And, and the first thing we did was say, what was wrong with Copenhagen? Right? What was wrong with the carbon cap and trade bill in the United States? And what was wrong was it was not an American approach. Right? I mean, since World War II, we have been living in American rules-based you know, framework. Right? I'm not sure I knew that, to tell you the truth, but I kind of have come to that realization. I've been doing a lot of events with the Aspen Institute, and they've ingrained into me American exceptionalism and all sorts of interesting buzzwords that I'm not sure I knew the meaning of. And, and so now you come to the, what is, what is this American framework, right? It's, it's this framework around the use of innovation, industrialization, and yes, fossil fuel energy to create a much better way of life, right? Air conditioning that we're all enjoying today, right? The, the car, right, that gets ever more heavy because we feel safer in them, even though there's no data to support that. Um, all of those things is what we think of as the American way. And I remember selling solar around the world. I was in Abu Dhabi, and I was in Qatar, and then I was in India and other places. And no one wanted, when they were, you know, I don't know if you know this, how this works, but you go to these, city, these countries and they say, we want to build a new city here. I'm like, really? That's how it goes? Okay. So we want to build a new city here. And when they said that, they said, no one ever said, I want to build a new city after Bonn or Berlin or London. It was always Houston, Los Angeles, DC, New York, right? I mean, all of these countries around the world were telling me how they wanted to replicate some US thing that they had imagined in their head. And it was at that time that it dawns on you that that is the impact of this America. American rules-based infrastructure and, and, and sort of economy that we talk about. And, and when the Berlin Wall came down in 1989, like we thought about sort of, well, do we need to update it, right? I mean, we sort of put it all in place to, you know, to defeat the Russians, right? I mean, communism and all that stuff. And we said, well, we need to build suburbia, and we need to outspend them, and we need to do military. All these framework things the Atlantic Council had a crucial role in putting together is something that we put together for that common enemy. And we never replaced it. Bill Clinton didn't bother to replace it. George W. Bush clearly didn't replace it. And Obama, I think, didn't even want to talk about it, right? So Obama didn't talk about it at all. So now we're sitting here with me talking to you, right? Why? Because everyone's desperate for a framework. And the folks that in my industry have actually created a framework. We didn't mean to, by the way. Like, no one asked us to, and we didn't want to. We are very comfortable doing what we do in our niche, where only a few people listen to the Energy Gang podcast, and no one really cares that much about like, what I have to say. But when you think about the Paris Agreement, the Paris Agreement is a new global framework. Right? When you think about what the Indian Prime Minister is doing today, he believes very strongly that fossil fuels is what is destroying the economy of India. 
because they do not have local fuels, right? They're importing from Australia, Mozambique, South Africa. They're importing natural gas from Iran via a pipeline from Pakistan. That's not usually the best thing to do. And so you're in this situation where the Indian government is saying, we're going to be at 100% electric vehicles by 2030. I have no idea whether they can hit that or not, right? So like, let, let's not like make this a proclamation. But at the same time, that is a framework for you know, one of the, if not the most populous country in the world, right? And so he's not actually creating this framework around consumerism. He's not creating a framework around all of the other things that one would think that we're promoting since, um, you know, that is the American framework. He's promoting a framework around the use of technology and innovation and entrepreneurship and finance and all of these other rules-based approaches that we all know and love for the purpose of deploying solar power farms, for the purpose of deploying wind energy, for the purpose of deploying electric vehicles, right? The Chinese, they're building electric buses as fast as they can. BYD is a company you've never heard of, except that Warren Buffett actually owns a piece of it, right? And so these are extraordinary times, and we are being asked to create a framework, right? And none of you guys were invited. None of you guys were invited to the, 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 like, the Founding Fathers Conference. That was a conference we went to. Like, it was a weird conference, I can tell you. <laughs> but we were all invited to that conference, and we were not told that we're creating a new global framework. Right? We were told, like, you need to defeat climate change. But what does that mean? Right? Climate change is the burning of fossil fuels. It's the management of land use, right? Stopping the destruction of the Amazon or, or the, you know, um, extraordinary like sort of palm oil plantations in Indonesia or other things, right? It's, that's climate change, right? And so, so when I was at the Carbon War Room, we said, well, let's split it up into 17 sectors. Each one represents roughly the same amount of carbon. Let's fig figure out a gigaton throwdown, which is basically like how we save a gigaton of carbon out of each one of those pie slices, right, you know, using like Sokolov's like sort of analogy. And, and then we, you know, it was interesting. A lot of folks said, oh, you can save a gigaton of carbon in cement. That's cool. You can save a gigaton of carbon in, you know, transportation. Amazing, right? Buildings, power, right? It's extraordinary. Did we set up to set up a, did we set up, set out to set up a new framework for the world order? No, we did not. Now, I love Sir Richard Branson, but I don't think he was thinking about that, right? I love out there it says, like, you know, there is no planet B, which I am sure the chairman of my board did not come up with, but he certainly popularized it, popularized it in 2010 at the, at the COP. We, you know, he said there's no planet B, and suddenly it was retweeted around the world, and everyone loved it, and, you know, so Jose Maria Figueres, I think, will, will, will own that phrase for a long time to come. And so all of you should put your, take your paintbrushes out and put a little paint on that so we can get that done today and up uh, at 14th and U, I think, right? And, um, but so, so we put this together, right? And now you've got entire economies, right? Now you've got cities signing up to the Paris Accord. You got Pittsburgh, we're in the Paris Accord. Wait, I thought you were with Trump. No, we're with the Paris Accord. And then you've got, you know, Los Angeles and the C40, and you've got, like, small towns that probably shouldn't be on the list, but they are. And then you've got, you know, like, institutes of higher learning who've said, we're going to do it. This is amazing, right? And what are they doing? What exactly do you think that they're doing? Right? They don't know what they're doing. They just signed this thing. 
right? And so now they go to the next city council meeting and they say, well, what should we do? Oh, let's Google it. Oh, crap, Jigger Shaw's thing came up with the Carbon War Room. We should download those reports. We should read them. And we should actually hire those entrepreneurs to deploy whatever it is that he's promoting in that report. And that is literally how it goes. And it's sad, right? Because this organization and all of you need to be a part of this conversation, right? The fact that you're not part of this conversation and that we're talking about psychological barriers to you know, believing in climate change is ridiculous, right? This is, this is the new world order, right? The entire world order is based on what you would consider you know, modernity, right? You want a car, you want a house, you want electricity, you want clean drinking water, you want a place that the, the stuff goes to when you flush the toilet. Right? You want to make sure that you don't have to see it again, that the pipes work, right? that there's a wastewater treatment facility slightly outside of the city that you can't see because they've got big barriers around it that actually converts it back into drinking water. And then, oh wait, there's anaerobic digesters. What is that? Well, that's there too, and they're, to, they're converting stuff to natural gas. Right? All of these things that you guys probably don't actually know in great detail is what we're talking about. That is the Paris Agreement. Right? That is what we're talking about, right? And so, so all of, like, so we need all of these folks to come in. Like, I, I was really pleased when Rex Tillerson became Secretary of State. Because I thought, this is the first guy that has ever been in that position who actually knows how oil is found, brought out of the ground, brought through a pipeline. Why do we need a pipeline in Azerbaijan? He knows, right? And then it goes into this thing, Straits of Hormuz, it goes into a refinery, it creates like all these different distillate products. Oh, why do we burn like tar in ships? Because no one else can use it. Great. Okay, he knows that stuff, right? And then it goes to a gas station. And all of that is very sensitive, right? That's why we need peace. That's why we need prosperity. That's why we need what we're talking about in the world. Because if any of that gets disrupted, you don't get to drive. Right? I mean, that's the weird thing, right? Is that if any of it gets disrupted, you don't get to come here for this conference because you don't live here, right? And well, also, if it gets to 127 degrees out, you don't get to come here because this planes apparently can't fly in 127 degrees, we learned yesterday. So, so it's, you know, it's one of those weird things where this world is very fragile, right? And, like, and unfortunately, like, we've become experts in that. Because I have to build stuff in lots of countries around the world. I have to figure out what OPIC stands for, and XM Bank stands for, and the World Bank stands for, and how do I actually figure out how to do currency exchanges? I'm a mechanical engineer from Illinois. I don't know how this stuff works, right? But they forced me to, because they're like, I don't know, how do you build a 100 megawatt facility in Jordan? Wait, what? People do business in Jordan? Like, how do you do that? Like, oh, you need like, you know, risk insurance, and you need to figure out this, and then you need, like, oh, wait, there's a special office in the World Bank that does Jordan, right? I had to figure that out. Oh, and there's a law firm here in the city who actually specializes in Jordan. Really? How does that happen? But they do, right? And they come to the Atlantic Council. They come to these meetings, right? And I didn't know. So thanks for telling me. Now I'm here. So, so what I would suggest to you is that I think your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to figure out what this looks like as a real framework, right? We need a real framework to succeed the World War II framework that was put into place, right, clearly. 
I mean, one of the reasons why Trump is willing to go amok is because nobody's put forward a, an alternative framework, right? The alternative frameworks everyone put up is, why don't we do more of the same? Here's why NATO is so important. Here's why all these other institutions are so important. But why are they important? We already defeated the Russians. Oh wait, maybe we didn't. But like, but, but why are they important, right? Why does China want to build this extraordinary partnership with many different countries for its infrastructure? What does it hope to gain from that, right? Oh, they just want to rule the world. Really? That's what China wants to do? They want to like, change the world and they want to do all this stuff? No, they're always six months away from a revolution. They just want to keep people employed, right? Let's be honest, right? China has a lot of people from rural areas going to cities that don't have jobs right now. And they got to figure out a way to keep them employed so that they don't rise up against the Communist Party. So, like, that's what they're doing. They're doing the same thing we did, right? We went around the world with economic hitmen and said, hey, you need a highway here. Oh, Bechtel can do that for you. And that's fine, right? But that is a framework. At least the Chinese are putting forward a framework. It's now time for the Atlantic Council and all of you to work together to take the Paris Agreement, to take all the work we're doing in the resource efficiency economy, all of the great technologies, most of which were invented in the 1970s after the Arab oil crisis but have never been deployed at scale, and figure out what it is that you want to do to make your lives better, right? Because without that, as we can all plainly see, we're going to end up in anarchy. With that, thank you very much. In closing, I would like to thank the conference organizers and our speaker, Jigar Shah. I produced this episode with help from my colleagues at Ecologic Institute. To view a full conference program and watch a video of Mr. Shah's keynote, visit www.eleap.eu and search for the Atlantic Council on YouTube. Join us next week for a discussion with former U.S. Secretary of Energy, Ernest Monez, recorded from day two of the conference. If you like what you heard, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe through whatever podcast platform you use. Thank you for listening, and until next time.